You are listening to a Crosspoint Peachtree City podcast. For more information, please visit our website at www.crosspointptc.com. guys this morning. Thanks for bringing the, the church into this building. Uh, this church uh, recently decorated with uh, Christmas decor to really put this study of Galatians to the test to see if this one true gospel could bind us all together despite our differences on when you should decorate for Christmas. And so, um, yeah, we'll see how that, how that goes. Uh, if we haven't met, my name's Jamie, one of the pastor elders of our church. Uh, the guy who most weeks gets to Uh, To preach God's word, excited to do that this morning in continuation of our journey through the book of Galatians as we uh, approach the next to the last stop on the the train, so to speak, this time next week, bringing this series to a close as we prepare to enter the season of Advent, one of my absolute favorite times of of year, as I'm sure it's uh, true of many of you, with its mix of joyful celebration, hopeful anticipation, Uh, but lest we get ahead of ourselves there Uh, are still jewels to be mined in this great letter to the churches of Galatia, this book of the Bible, uh, Galatians inviting us into a deeper understanding of uh, appreciation of the truth, the beauty, the hope of the gospel, that we might find life in the sweetness of freedom, as we've been talking about for weeks now, the kind of freedom that can only be found in Jesus. And so uh, with that, go ahead and invite you to open your Bibles to uh, Galatians chapter 5. That's where we'll be this morning. Uh, And on into chapter 6, actually, Um, If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath uh, one of the seats in the row in front of you. Feel free to uh, open up to this morning's passage. Uh, As you're turning there, uh, I'm going to go ahead and and pray for us so that we can jump in because we've got some ground to cover. Heavenly Father, as James just mentioned, uh, thank you for sending your son into the slums of our fallen broken world, that that we might have hope, that he would live the life that we could never live, that he would die the death that we deserve to die in our place for our sins, that he would rise from the grave three days later, ascend to your right hand, Father, that he will return someday to set all things right. We feel that this time of year, perhaps more than any other time of year. The highs higher, the lows lower as we move into the holiday season. Thank you for a gospel that meets us in both the high and the low places. Holy Spirit, I pray that uh, you would move in power, uh, that you would stir our minds and our hearts to worship as we sit with your inspired word in front of us this morning. Would you give me a feeling sense of the very things I preach as much as anyone else in this place? And I pray that as a result of our time in the scriptures that we would walk away not only informed but transformed by the power of this one true gospel. In the name of Jesus I pray, amen. So as we enter into uh, the last uh, chapter of this great book of the Bible, uh, Paul has just laid out his treatise on Christian freedom, having defended his apostolic authority, his gospel message, as we've seen going back to the first couple chapters. 
followed by a rebuke of the Galatians for lending their, their itching ears to the siren song of false teachers, whose message, as we've seen, Paul has brilliantly exposed and contrasted with the true gospel through some of the most complex argumentation in all of Paul's New Testament writings. Understanding what's at stake to be nothing less than a a fight for true and lasting freedom and joy. The Galatian believers having been bought out of the marketplace of sin by Jesus' precious blood, just as you and I have. More than that, granted the rights, the privileges, and blessings of sons and, and heirs. Having been freed from the enslaving power of idols, the Galatians were being tempted to to trade one form of enslavement for another. In their case, enslavement to the law of Moses as the uh, false teachers in Galatia were insisting that, that the Galatian Gentiles be circumcised and submit to the Mosaic law in order to have right legal standing with God and in order to be counted among the true people of God. And Paul says, do that and you submit again to a yoke of slavery, stepping out of the, the shackles of sin only to uh, step into the new yoke of legalism, with which perhaps many of us can all too well identify the trading of shackles for shackles. Paul pleading with the Galatians that they continue the Christian life the way that they began it. Not in cross-diminishing, spirit-abandoning self-reliance, but in cross-clinging, spirit-reliant faith. Which, as we saw last week, is no uh, peacetime endeavor as there's a war within between the flesh and the spirit. The daily temptation to to turn to the enslaving idols of our day or perhaps the the treadmill of self-wrought religious performance. And yet, like Israel in the wilderness, we have everything we need as we journey through our own wilderness on our way to uh, the eternal land of promise. We have Christ to sustain us, the bread which came down from heaven, the true bread, and we have the Holy Spirit to lead, guide, and empower us, the living water whom Jesus gives to those who belong to him. Paul exhorting believers to abide in the one to whom we belong and to walk in the guidance and power of the one who indwells us. And that in doing so, we will bear the fruit of Christ's likeness, the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The concrete expression of which Paul's going to offer us some examples as we move into this morning's passage. Lest we think that the the spirit-led, spirit-filled life to be vague in its expression oftentimes expressed, in fact, in the context of of biblical community with real people and real situations and real time. A question came to mind as I was camping out in this passage this week. What comes to mind uh, when you think of what it means to be a a spirit-led, spirit-filled church? The degree to which spiritual gifts are exercised, Certain visible expressions and postures in corporate worship, displays of miraculous power, perhaps even a a collection of privatized mystical experiences. Many of those things in and of themselves, good things, right? We want to experience God. We want to see the, the good gifts he gives put to use. Yes and amen. And yet, as we'll see in this morning's passage, one of the litmus tests regarding whether a church is spirit-led and spirit-filled is if there are healthy, God-honoring relationships within the body of believers. Paul says very similarly in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21, 
He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. All right, there's the Galatians 5 language. But notice what he goes on to say immediately after. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is again, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Coming back to Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is not patience for patience' sake or kindness for kindness' sake or gentleness for gentleness' sake, but rather patience and kindness and gentleness worked out in biblical community. As the Spirit-led, Spirit-filled church is a one-anothering church, which is why Paul would follow his teaching on the fruit of the Spirit with these words, chapter 6, or excuse me, chapter 5, verse 26. Let us not become conceited, Paul says, provoking one another, envying one another. Right? Believers are, are not to become conceited. The word translated conceit in the original Greek meaning vainglorious or having delusions of self-grandeur, which at times can lead us to provoke one another, Paul says. word provoke, uh, carrying with it the, the idea of challenging someone to a contest comes from a place of uh, perceived superiority that, that we feel the need to demonstrate so that everyone around us knows how impressive we are at the expense of whoever we've made to look inferior in the process. At other times, conceit leading us to envy one another, Paul says, which comes not from a place of perceived superiority, but from a place of perceived inferiority. Though too conceited, Notice that in verse 26 of chapter 5, in that it assumes that we deserve what other people have. Both provocation and envy born out of a deep insecurity which drives us to seek to, to prove our worth to ourselves and to others. In the flesh, we must compare. We can't help ourselves. As was the case for the Galatian believers, right? Which was leading to rivalries, dissensions, and divisions. Going back to verse 20. There's no way to live. Surely not the path of true freedom and joy. Not the path of God-glorifying unity either. That in Christ, we don't have to prove our worth. It's our worth. It's rooted in the person and redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Again, we've been bought out of the marketplace of sin by Jesus' precious blood. More than that, granted the rights, the privileges, the blessings of sons and heirs, Paul says. That we're free to stop playing the comparison game in Christ. That we're free to count others in humility more significant than ourselves, Philippians 2. To not only look to our own interests, but to the interests of others as well. To have this mind among ourselves, which is ours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. In Christ, we're, we're free to, to love and care for one another in a spirit of gentleness, in a spirit of humility. As Paul goes on to say in chapter 6, verse 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. 
word restore carrying with it the, the imagery of the, the mending of a fishing net or the fitting together of a, a fractured bone. More than healing, a, a restoring to God's intended purpose. Right? This, the, the ministry of the church as much as anything else. The restoring of one another when we go off the beaten path. Those who are spiritual, not, not referring to an elite group within the church, but, but rather those walking in step with the Spirit, chapter 5, which is why Paul says such restoring is to be done in a spirit of gentleness, the fruit of the Spirit. All the while, humbly keeping watch on ourselves, Paul says, as none of us is beyond the propensity to wander, to, to leave the God we love. In the words of one scholar, Our correction of others will smell like conceit unless we sense that we ourselves are deeply flawed and are as prone to sin as anyone. Paul goes on in verses 2 and 3. He says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. This perhaps yet another jab at those false teachers in Galatia who were seeking to impose the law as a burden when in fact they should have been lifting burdens off of people. Paul's words notice assuming that believers will experience burdens as we live in a fallen world where things are not as they should be. That whoever's peddling the message that to become a Christian makes all of your problems circumstantially go away overnight is peddling a lie. Right? Jesus himself said, John 16, 33, you will have suffering in this world. Notice too, Paul assuming that we cannot carry all of our burdens alone, though our propensity is oftentimes, and I'll include myself here, to try to do so until we crumble under the load. We don't want anyone else's help. As Paul elsewhere acknowledges uh, such need in his own life. Second Corinthians uh, chapter 7, verses 5 and 6, Paul says, In fact, when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest. Instead, we were troubled in every way. Conflicts on the outside, fears inside. But God, who comforts the humble, comforted us by the arrival of Titus. If we're honest, not unlike the Apostle Paul himself, we... We all need a Titus from time to time. And sometimes we get the honor and privilege of being a Titus uh, to those burdened brothers and sisters around us. In bearing each other's burdens, Paul says, fulfilling the law of Christ, verse 2. Meaning that those who live in in cross-clinging, spirit-reliant faith will bear the fruit of love and will fulfill the law in its most beautiful sense. Not as meriting salvation, but as an outworking of God's grace in Jesus Christ. Unlike, Paul says, verse 3, he who thinks he is something when he is nothing and deceives himself. He who thinks too highly of himself to humbly get underneath the burdens of others. He who thinks too highly of himself to share his own burdens for help in time of need. Paul reminding us that, that we're all beggars in need of bread. That we're all on this rugged journey together to the celestial city. That we're all poor in spirit. He goes on in verses 4 and 5 to say, But let each one test his own work, 
And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. I mean, what does that mean? (laughs) Didn't Paul just say that we're to, to bear one another's burdens? Why then does he follow that immediately with the language of bearing our own load? This is where the, uh, the original Greek is helpful, as the word load here is not the same uh, as the word that Paul just used for burden. The word translated load carrying with it the, the imagery of non-transferable cargo. Many scholars likening the imagery to a, a modern-day backpack, so to speak. So that some understand Paul to mean that, that as we're to restore one another while keeping watch on ourselves regarding sin, so too we're to bear one another's burdens while carrying out the responsibilities that God uniquely and personally has for us in this life. I'm reminded of Peter when Jesus told him that he, Peter, would someday die a a martyr's death, to which Peter responded, well, what about John? And Jesus, in reply, said, what's that to you? You follow me. Again, the gospel, it frees us from the the comparison game that we might humbly bear one another's burdens while carrying out the responsibilities that God uniquely has for us. Other scholars uh, interpreting these verses a a little differently, seeing Paul's words here as yet another rebuke of the, the Judaizers. As those false teachers in Galatia, they were boasting in regards to the success of their ministry in bringing Gentiles under the law. As Paul will go on to say in the closing of this letter, chapter 6, verse 13, they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh, that you're their ministry, so to speak. Though they should have been boasting in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. To which Paul says, let each one test his own work, verse 4. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor, not his ministry. And yet, to stop and stare in the mirror, if we look at ourselves long enough, reminds us that our only boast, if there be any beauty in the reflection, is in the redemptive work of Jesus. A reminder to these verses of where this story is headed as we will uh, stand before the Lord someday and our boast cannot and must not be that we're better than others or help to make others better. The boast of the true believer in Christ and his cross. Paul continues in verse 6. He says, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. This is fascinating to me. That churches that uh, proclaim to be spirit-led can oftentimes be the most biblically malnourished. Ever thought about that? And yet, Paul, having called believers to walk in the Spirit, chapter 5, now makes plain that the truly Spirit-led church is rooted in biblical teaching. As we see in the wake of the outpouring of the Spirit at at Pentecost, where the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. So that a truly spirit-led church is a Bible-teaching church. Paul here uh, calling for the financial support of those committed to the ministry of the word, which in one sense feels a little uncomfortable to say, uh, as one with such responsibilities in the life of the church. And yet, to not say it would be to not teach the word. We don't skip any verses around here as a church. Which it makes sense, right? Paul's words here in the context of this letter 
as the concern was false teaching having crept in to the church. Paul recognizing the significance of the, the teaching of the word and the safeguarding of such teaching in the, the midst of the many distortions of the gospel. I can't, I can't tell you how grateful I am personally to be financially supported and cared for as it frees me to spend meaningful time in study of, reflection on God's word, which I've been able to bring in and share week in and week out for the edification of the body, the safeguarding of the gospel. Paul broadens things out. Uh, from the particular example of supporting teachers of the word to the general principle of reaping and sowing in verse 7 where he says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. These words, basically a Pauline summary of the book of Proverbs. With the contrasting ways of, of wisdom and folly. The contrasting destinies of life and corruption. No one plants an apple seed and gets an orange tree. Right? Plants an apple seed, you get an apple tree. So it is with sowing to the flesh and sowing to the spirit. Sowing to the, the spirit being synonymous with walking by the spirit. Chapter 5 verse 16. The one, that is the flesh reaping corruption. The other, that is the spirit reaping eternal life. As Jesus famously says in Luke chapter 6, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. False teachers in Galatia, they were, they were sowing to the flesh and, and exhorting Gentile believers to, to do the same, to sow to the flesh. Paul, again, reminding us that we, we must continue the Christian life the way that we began it, not in cross diminishing spirit, abandoning self-reliance, but in cross-clinging spirit-reliant faith, abiding in the one to whom we belong, the vine, the true vine, John 15, walking in the guidance and power of the one who indwells us. And that in doing so, we will bear the fruit of Christ's likeness, going back to last week, giving evidence that we belong to Jesus and are spirit-filled new creations in him. Paul says in verse 9, he says, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Paul here encouraging us not to give up, to do good to everyone as we have opportunity, especially to our brothers and sisters in Christ. As we have opportunity. None of us can be all things to all people. We'll get into this in January as we start the new year, talking through some of the unshared attributes of God that we desperately want to share with him to our own demise. We can't be all things to all people, but we can do good to others in some capacity. Even our enemies, as the Lord Jesus himself taught. Trusting that 
that in due season, Paul says, we will reap. Not we might reap, we will reap eternal rewards, eternal life. This agrarian imagery, it reminds us that the season between sowing and reaping requires patience and perseverance. The crop doesn't come out of the ground immediately. Any farmer would be the first to attest to that. And yet, Paul says, the harvest that awaits we who are in Christ will be worth it in the end. Tim Keller, in his commentary on this passage, he says, The gospel creates a whole new self-image which is not based on comparisons with others. Only the gospel makes us neither self-confident in a smug way nor self-disdaining in a despairing way. No, the gospel, he says, makes us both bold and humble. That works itself out in relationships with everyone. Rather than comparing ourselves with those above or below, we look only at our own responsibility to take what we have and are and offer it to God as a sacrifice of gratitude for what Christ has done. As we say often around here, we're far more sinful than we ever imagined, and yet we're far more loved than we ever dared dream. Loved with an unshakable love in Christ who loved us and gave himself up for us. So, Paul would say to us, let us stop playing the comparison game. Instead, offering what we have and who we are to God as a sacrifice of gratitude for what Christ has done. That is the truly spirit-led, spirit-filled, one-anothering church. In a minute, we get an opportunity to, to practice going back to what we read earlier in Ephesians 5. This being filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with our heart. And we get to do that together. That's one anothering too. As we listen to the voices of those brothers and sisters around us, worshiping the Lord, an encouragement to us that we're not alone in this, that we're together. And then we get to scatter. And we get to share our burdens what we're carrying that we can't carry alone, that we need others to come alongside of us and get underneath those burdens with us. We get to look around and see the burdens of others where we can get underneath some of those burdens as well. And this is a great time of year to explore that, is it not? Because again, the highs are oftentimes higher and the lows are oftentimes lower this time of year as we move into the holiday season. So we get to practice the gospel moving into the weeks to come and beyond that. Along with our song, we'll also have an opportunity to receive of the Lord's Supper between now and the benediction. Whenever you're ready to receive of the bread and the cup, you're welcome to do that. If you're not a Christian, we'd encourage you not to receive of those elements, but that your next step would be one of repentance and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins can only be found in him. If you are a Christian, as many of you know, we take the the bread representing the broken body of Jesus. We dip it in the cup representing his shed blood. Again, be encouraged as you receive those elements. Be reminded before you take them in that in Christ you have all that you need as it pertains to identity. You have all that you need as it pertains to an unshakable, grounded love, forever love.
Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us, find further resources, and directions to our gatherings. That's C-R-O-S-S-P-O-I-N-T-E-P-T-C dot com.